0: Hello, welcome to Eyes for Years, your Ophthalmology Ocaps and Board of View podcast, are your hosts Ben Young
1: and Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these podcasts are meant for medical education purposes only, not to diagnose things on anyone's eyes.
0: Each week we take a high-yield topic and talk about the why and the how. What are we talking about this week, Andrew?
1: This week you've selected for us some cataract topics, specifically drug-related and metabolic causes of cataract.
0: This isn't the most common thing you run into in the clinic, except for you know specific things like diabetic cataract, which we'll go into in a bit. But they are pretty pretty high yield for the OCAPs and the boards. I feel like every OCAP I took, and I won't comment on the boards, has uh, <laughs> link, like link. <laughs> one or multiple questions relating to drug-related or metabolic cataracts. And I know, like for me, it's not something I spend a lot of time studying. So,
1: doesn't it feel so ironic? A highly trained retina specialist being undermined by cataract questions.
0: Cataract, yeah, it does. There's something yeah meta about that. But let's let's move forward. So we're gonna we're gonna first talk about the drug related cataracts, and then we'll talk about metabolic related cataracts. So first, for the drug related cataract, what's the first one we should talk about? Andrew, the
1: most common. The, one. the most common. The drug you love to hate, steroid related.
0: Steroid. cataract, yeah. steroid,
1: steroidal. Yeah. And uh, some of the how uh, you've laid this out for us, Ben, is differentiating the part of the cataract between, I guess, the nucleus, the cort- cortex, or subcapsular area in which these are more characteristically affected. Which one is the one for steroids?
0: This is usually causes a posterior subcapsular cataract. And I mean, I'll just put this little review here in case you're a newer resident or a medical student. Remember, the lens is a peanut M&M, basically. So there's the candy coating, the capsule, then there's the cortex, which is a chocolate, and then the peanut is the nucleus. Super quick review for that. (laughs) So PSC, or posterior subcapsular, is basically right under the posterior part of the capsule, like involving the cortex a little bit, but really it's like a capsular cataract. Yeah, Um, yeah. And
1: it's not the most obvious to see initially, Mm -hmm. unless it's really severe. So you might think like, okay, why is this person complaining? And then you look really closely and you see the PSC and you're like, oh, that's why.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's probably the most challenging cataract to see, as you say, for um, someone new to the slit lamp. But, you know, transillumination can help highlight them too. Mm -hmm. Just an interesting fun fact from the BCSC that I have not seen, but apparently if a young patient gets a PSC cataract from steroids and the steroid is stopped, then sometimes that PSC cataract can be reversible, which I think is kind of interesting. There's not many times you think about changes in the lens reversing. So, you know, this is just one case where it it could. So it it means like the way it impacts your clinical practice, it means you don't necessarily need to rush the surgery, though, you know, depending how young the patient is, you do have to follow closely for amblyopia. Oh, and to clarify, this is steroids. I mean, in general, we're talking about periocular steroids. I If it's some drops or an injection of intraocular steroids or subtenon steroids, you know, oral steroids can cause this too.
1: That's a great clarifying point. And to proceed from there a little bit more, it's only bilateral if it's an oral or systemic medication. If it's a topical medication, like I see you've also got pilocarpine here, very much does not have to be bilateral, just...
0: Yeah, let's talk about pilocarpine next. That's a good one. So I don't see, like, I can't remember the last time I saw a patient who was on pilocarpine. So I bet a lot of our listeners may not be super comfortable with this medication. Can you remind us what it's used for, Andrew?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the older drugs used for glaucoma, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's a cholinergic medication that can actually uh, constrict the pupil. Some of the nasty things it tends to do. One of them that we're talking about is cataract, but I think one that you may also have studied at least, Ben, is its propensity to cause little tears in the retina. Yeah, you may inherit patients who are still on it for various reasons, either if they came from like an older doctor who's still set in their old prescribing patterns, or I had one patient who was stuck in the Philippines, this poor lady, for, for months because of COVID. And the best they could do for her was give her pilocarpine.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, it can be the last-ditch drop, too, that one may actually prescribe if a patient can't get a surgery for some reason, too. That's be impractical to get that patient a glaucoma surgery. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to round out the list of possible side effects, you can kind of think of it as generally like somewhat a pro-inflammatory medication. Mm-hmm. You know, it can cause Thanks. a brow ache. It can worsen intraocular inflammation. Like if someone has uveitis, it can worsen that. And it can cause punctal stenosis.
1: Punctal stenosis. Oh,
0: apparently, yeah. yeah. It can apparently lead to punctal stenosis.
1: Just another reminder to always check the punctum.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's the first thing I go for when I say that recently.
1: Dr. Gaudio would be proud of us. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So uh, the thing about that worsening inflammation, not to make this a non-cataract lecture, but it destabilizes the blood uh, aqueous
0: barrier. And it's Mm -hmm. one of
1: the few eye drops that does that. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's, I mean... these are all the reasons why it has really fallen out of favor, in spite of being one of the earlier glaucoma drops that was found to be useful. Okay. Another drug that begins with a P. Well, it's uh, a guess a drug class. Well, here, maybe we'll, we'll pose it this way and then let the listener try to see if they can figure out what it is. <laughs> so you see a patient, and you know, it's just for a routine follow-up, and you find on their lens capsule is just some like light pigmentation. It might be a little bit dark, but it could also be w- white in a stellate pattern, perhaps, though it doesn't always have to be either. But it could be, when I say stellate, it kind of looks like a snowflake. Is one way that it could present. Uh, there are two medications that we're aware of that could cause that kind of appearance. And, and we'll... Maybe
1: for a little bit more of a hint, let's pretend that it's we're in the 1970s and your patient has had a few encounters with the psychiatric department.
0: Right. Or for the other drug, perhaps they have (laughs) cardiac problems. Those are the two Mm. situations (laughs) where this may arise. There is
1: actually one more situation where we might use the psychiatric drug, but it's... Uh, kind of a lame situation anyway you what are these things
0: okay the first is the class of fenothiazines if you thought hmm. phenothiazines, congratulations you get an eyes for ears point uh, you can redeem it at the end of the episode uh, oh my god
1: ben's melodious voice on your voicemail yeah, yeah exactly oh dude that?
0: i should i should do, i would definitely do that i don't think anyone wants a money. <laughs> your voice though you got that bass it's all oh, about geez. that bass so some of the medications in the phenothiazine category are chlorpromazine, promethazine, thyridazine as well, which is confusing because chlorpromazine's trade, one of the trade names is Thorazine, but that's not thyridazine, which is different, whose <laughs> trade name is Meloril. I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've heard someone use that like in practice, but you know, I don't yeah, think it's
1: kind do. of a grab bag of medications, to yeah, be honest.
0: But yeah. The phenothiazine category can cause a capsular pigmentation. Right.
1: They're just unified by their chemical structure, that's all.
0: Yeah, yeah. But like kind of, I think one thing to remember is less of the interior capsular pigmentation, but kind of the stellate pattern. Because, you know, if this shows up on, for oral boards, they may just show you a picture of that. It may be more readily identifiable by the stellate pattern. The images I've seen don't look very like pigmented per se. You know, they look more kind of gray or gray-white. So, But the other medication that can cause stellate pigment is cardiac patients is <laughs> something uh, let's say they pretty also common. have they also have something on their cornea whirl like patterns on their cornea that might be another hint that or it may be also evident in a clinical image you get it's <laughs> part of a test and that's amiodarone yeah Yay. <laughs> Yay. okay second uh, I your point you get
1: so that's the...
0: Uh... First, it can also cause stellate pigment. One small difference is instead of on the anterior capsule, it's on the in the anterior cortex. It's thought with amiodarum, but on a standard S- clinical image, I think I, I would be surprised if they try to have you distinguish between those two things on any test. Um, but uh, but uh, Andrew, what's a verticillata? <laughs> uh,
1: it's these weird patterns that you get when there's something going on with the limbal stem cells and the peripheral cornea, such that it ends up, as they grow in, creating this weird epithelial warlike pattern that is thankfully visually insignificant, but very helpful in distinguishing a few diseases or situations that cause it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the mnemonic I remember is "Facts in like get your facts in It includes Fabry's disease. One thing to think to work a patient up for is Fabry's and things like renal dysfunction, amiodarone. Chloroquine, including hydroxychloroquine, so that's like obviously nowadays a more common presentation, but my mnemonic is chloroquine, as well as clopromazine, so the phenothiazines can also cause this So you should really think of the two together, amiodarone and phenothiazines. The T is for tamoxifen, it's thought to also cause verticillata. Subcontracting gentamicin. so you know, the post-op patient where you give that perhaps, and then the IN is ibuprofen and naproxen. So NSAIDs can also are also thought to be able to cause retinolata. Just one note on tamoxifen: there used to be thought that tamoxifen may increase the risk of cataract, but my version of the BCSC clearly states that they, the authors feel that this has been disproven in follow-up studies. We can still have other side effects we can talk about, like in the retina de- uh, deposition of retinal crystals. Okay, one more thing though in the drug category: it's a very commonly prescribed medication.
1: Your parents are probably on this, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not to be judgmental of um, anyone's parents, but on average in the United States, you know, if you mm. have someone who has been exposed to the American diet, maybe on this medication. And the way they may prompt it is that to say that the patient also on oh. erythromycin, I believe it has to be oral erythromycin, but, you know, that would be the prompt, is generally they have to be also be on erythromycin to have this, have cataract as a side effect of being on this medication. And we'll give you a minute to think about it, because this could be all they give you for your board or OCAP. <laughs> <laughs> uh, statins. Right. I, we, well, I, I had to stop Andrew before we get DMCA'd for uh, <laughs> copyrighted <laughs> <laughs> songs.
1: I don't know. I was just making up my own song. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's
0: right. About. Yeah, that's our own original beat. <laughs> um so yeah, so you know, there's thoughts that statin by itself in very high doses can cause cataract. or BCSC feels the studies conflict on that. However, they do say when taken with erythromycin for whatever reason, that can potentiate statins, which does likely increase the risk of cataract by about twofold. So think of the system together. That's how I'd remember it for, um, for testing purposes.
1: Uh, doesn't the reason erythromycin do it is Isn't like it's one of the cytochrome P450 mediators or whatever?
0: Let's move on to metabolic because I didn't look that up. <laughs> uh,
1: no, no, so, it's like remember those really annoying medical school things where you're like, okay, which of these drugs induces or inhibits the P four fifty complex? Or whatever?
0: I never had a good mnemonic for that. Yeah, it's be- well,
1: mnemonic. that's mnemonics exist and they're all terrible. Like,
0: yeah, like, yeah, that, that's like a tough thing to remember. I, I love how like specifically grapefruit. Anyways, like I, and I who eats grapefruit? Can we just like, do you like grapefruit, Andrew? Like, if you had the uh, option of eating it, would you eat it?
1: feeling pretty attacked right now for my grapefruit philia
0: <laughs> i don't i don't understand it like wife loves grapefruit too and like i don't like i can't like put myself in your like headspace. like what what do you get out of it it's like it's like it's like bad oranges
1: you give me at least enough time to find out erythromycin decreases cytochrome p450 metabolism which if it's decreasing met- the ability of that P450 complex to metabolize other things, that's why it's potentiating all these other drug effects because there's not enough P450 to chew them up anymore.
0: Right. Uh, also developed cataract earlier.
1: Hmm. I wonder if that that's... That would like only it. work if the grapefruit is on the side of uh, inhibiting it also.
0: I believe it is. I believe it does.
1: Inducers. Grapefruit inhibitors. Oh. Yes, you're right. So it could be somebody on statins and, and erythromycin. Grapefruit. Or statins and grapefruit.
0: Perhaps, perhaps. So this is all speculation. <laughs> for the test, I would I would memorize statins and erythromycin, because that's what BCSE says. Uh, but I will say if you were a medical student or a resident looking for a project, I just go uh search oh my on PubMed, grapefruit a cataract. No so results were this. found.
1: You're what? so good at the being the project whisperer for med students if you if you Kudos want one, to you. you
0: don't need to make be an author but you could do a little <laughs> bit you could do a study and drink, drink Dude, fruit
1: with however how many s- stupid things are on those terrible mnemonics that could be projects for like 50 or 100 med mm-hmm. students.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, that would, that would that would take a while but uh, I, I can't promise you to get published in a high impact journal. <laughs> uh, okay, let's. Ben's go Ben's journal of shitty studies. <laughs> Met- metabolic. I, once I start my journal, they will all, all grapefruit related projects to show oh the disadvantages <laughs> of grapefruit will be included. Grapefruit ophthalmology. Metabolic will. causes. <laughs> I, I, okay. I thought I thought it was popular to dislike grapefruit. I'm sorry if uh, please keep listening to our program if you if you do like grapefruit. Metabolic cataracts. Uh, this is a little bit of a grab bag, but I think you'll agree in general these are can, can be considered metabolic. Let's start with one that is sort of, I mean, it is iatrogenic, hyperbaric oxygen treatment. Okay, so when used in the short term, it can cause a myopic shift, perhaps it's due to similar mechanism as diabetes, which we'll go into in a bit, but that's something you can remember is after hyperbaric oxygen therapy, some patients may um, have refractive shifts. In terms of its risk of increasing cataract uh, one source that I found said that if you get hyperbaric oxygen treatment more than 150 times a year, so like every other day, essentially, I suppose, <laughs> then you can have a, quote, 50% chance of developing a cataract. So I don't think that's something that would be tested on. It's not a BCSC. I looked. but uh, that, uh, Oh, the one the, the, the 150 number? Yeah. Like yeah, that's, that's not... the exact risk. But, like, you should know hyperbaric oxygen. Uh, therapy when used long term with high frequency could increase the risk of cataract probably due to the increased oxidative stress on the lens. So what about uh, you want to tell us about how diabetes can affect the lens?
1: The BCSC talks about how all this extra blood glucose can also lead to extra glucose in the aqueous which it sort of says and that's why it develops a myopic shift and then eventually you know this and more biochemical changes because of all this strange sugar metabolism ends up kind of clouding up the lens, gives you uh, put in specifically subcapsular and cortical cataracts, which can quickly become intumescent and even look like white cataracts later. The whole thing about the myopic shift though, and there, I think that's sort of poorly worded on the part of the BCSC, because if it they're sort of implying from how they write their sentences that the increased aqueous glucose is going to lead to a myopic shift, which I don't understand. Like That sounds to me like it should shift fluid out of the lens, which would make the lens thinner and become a hyperopic shift. I think what squares this for me is the fact that in another sentence, the BCSC admits, yeah, because of this deranged biochemistry, There's an increase in sorbitol inside the lens, and that makes more sense to me for causing a myopic shift. You got more, you know, more molecular junk in the lens. You're going to draw fluid in. The lens will swell, and your focal point will shift anteriorly. That makes sense to me for a myopic shift.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is confusing. Yeah. You know, I think maybe a lot of people think of it with posterior subcapsular and, cortical cataract, it can eventually cause any type of cataract, including euclidoclerotic. Mm-hmm. The thought is that being diabetic increases oxidative stress in general. But, you know, it, uh, in terms of, like, the rapid onset in, like, younger patients, can certainly be uh, subcapsular cortical. So not only are these cataracts, like, difficult because they're usually very soft if it's a young patient, but also, you know, that intumescent nature. and Okay. So that's diabetes. Now, there's another condition that affects glucose metabolism that can cause cataract, which is galactosemia. So, and this, I'm sure, takes us back to kind of step one, step two days. But remember, galactosemia is an autosomal recessive problem that leads to an inability to convert galactose to glucose. And that's obviously a very important step in glucose metabolism. So this tends to affect patients when they're very young, when they're infants. Systemically, and this is important to know for examination purposes for sure, is that it leads to malnutrition, hepatomegaly, and as a result, jaundice, and then ultimately intellectual deficiency. Now, hopefully this isn't something we have to memorize, but Andrew, what enzymes are responsible for galactosemia?
1: Yeah, very low yield here. So I just wanted to repeat this over and over a little bit so that it maybe sticks in your head. Three enzymatic deficiencies, the most common in something called Gal-1-PUT put. Second cause, galactokinase. Or last least common cause, UDP galactose for epimerase. So bear with me. Gal-1-PUT, galactokinase, UDP galactose for epimerase. Just...
0: Go for the that away. That has, yeah, that has galacto in the name. That's probably right, going right. to be your best shot. And similarly, because they have excess galactose and not enough glucose, the way to diagnose galactosemia is detecting galactose in the urine. So that's if you suspect that in a patient you're seeing, that's what you should go for. The lens appearance is fairly unique. There's only a few causes of this. And the lens adopts, quote, an oil droplet appearance. So not only does the nucleus in galactosemia patients become a pacified, but also it gets bowed posteriorly, resulting what one calls posterior lenticonus. So you can imagine, you know, the normal kind of football lens shape, the back of the lens in these patients gets bowed outward. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, like kind of volcano or or, or cone-like, you know, appearance. Know, though, that posterior lintoconus can just be a congenital abnormality. Not like every patient has posterior lintoconus, has galactosemia, but it's something that I would consider testing for. And then the treatment, what is the treatment, Andrew?
1: No more milk for you.
0: Yeah, no more milk. So that there, no more lactose leads to no more, you know, galactose, and then no more o- overabundance of galactose. And the uh, BCSC says, this is another case, Perhaps a young just can reverse cataracts where the, this cataract from galactosemia can reverse once the milk is stopped. So something that you may want to consider uh, observing if you can avoid doing surgery in an infant. But that leads us into another cause of oil droplet cataract. If you see this in a test question, we'll give the listener a chance to think of the other cause of oil droplet cataract. Okay, I was just copying your song, Andrew. <laughs> right, that right, right, right. Alport syndrome. So, you know, this one is definitely a favorite from step one, step two. Remember, this one is X linked, unlike our autism or recessive with galactosemia. This one's X linked. And it's thought to be a type 4 collagen problem. So that's why it can lead to glomerulonephritis, where the type 4 collagen is very important, as well as hearing loss. That's why it can cause those two problems. And it turns out there's type 4 collagen in the eye, so it can also cause ocular issues too, specifically anterior lenticonus. So for some reason, you know, it's the anterior part of the lens that gets, can get become kind of bowed forward. Uh, in Alport syndrome as opposed to the posterior part. So that's one way you can, can kind of differentiate between the two. Not only can the lens be bowed for, but also the cornea. So there are a higher risk for keratoconus. And then these other two causes, I'm not sure if there's a great reason why they Alport syndrome patients can tend to get them, but they can also get PPMD, posterior polymorphous corneal dystrophy, which we covered in our corneal dystrophy episode. So um, Way back. Yeah, way back one. And for some reason, a dot and flag retinopathy. Okay, so that's that's it with the causes of, well, the metabolic causes of lentic conus. And that we'll get to, this is, you know, maybe the bane of some of our consult experiences, but the Wilson's disease can, you know, we all know that it can cause a Kaiser fleischer ring. Uh, and Andrew, can you remind us where the pigment deposits in a Kaiser fleischer ring?
1: Usually on decimase, so it's on the very uh, back part of the cornea. And it's the reason why people talk about it like a ring is it usually happens around the periphery, even, of decimates. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you often can only find it on gonioscopy.
0: Yeah, exactly, especially early on. I would kind of try to remember it is, you know, it first develops on decimates, like Andrew said, but... The excess copper is probably present in the anterior in the aqueous humor, which is why it deposits there. So it can eventually also deposit on the lens, leading to something special called a sunflower cataract, where mm-hmm. you get this is where you actually get like a defined reddish brown pigment from cuprous oxide that deposits on the anterior anterior lens capsule that kind of has a sunflower uh, configuration in terms of having these petals that uh, go around. So it's usually not visually significant, but can certainly be another sign that someone has a Wilson's disease. The other differential, by the way, for sunflower cataract is if they have a copper foreign body in their eye, any deposition <laughs> of cuprous oxide in their eye can lead to it. Yeah. Okay, we're almost done. The last few things all have to do with finding, um, you know, I think they're beautiful, iridescent opacities in the lens. So You know, when I say iridescent, that means depending on where the light hits them, you can see a bunch of like really pretty different colors. What's the most prominent cause of iridescent cortical opacities, Andrew? And what's the other name for it?
1: Yeah. We like calling them Christmas tree cataracts just because what some of the colors that have been, you know, as they get shiny and iridescent can shine red or green, but in truth, all kinds of colors. I guess that's true for a Christmas tree too depending on the lights.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like I like the blue lights on them.
1: And this is the one that, uh, because it's so often associated with myotonic dystrophy, that you have to pull out all your consultations to places like cardiology, uh, neurology. That's because there's other manifestations of it, right? Of course, not only do you have to deal with this person's cataract, but you also have to make sure they're not displaying other manifestations of myotonic dystrophy, like Their muscles just won't relax properly. They'll be able to kind of clench onto things like door handles, but then not let go. Uh, That's pretty typical of that type. You can also have weakness of facial muscles, cardiac conduction defects, which is why the uh, whole thing about the cardiac consultation is important. And (laughs) in some senses, maybe most tragically prominent frontal balding.
0: Yeah, that seems to be something they really hit on in, like, question stems and such. It's a frontal balding thing. The balding. Uh, <laughs> seems kind of like the least of their... I don't know. I, I, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. Whatever. I, I, won't, I won't go too much into that. Um, Wait yeah. till it happens to you, bud. <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, the, all the other weird, like, ocular thing with myotonic free is they can often be hypo the hypotenuse. That's a better word. Uh, It's not because something to do with the ciliary body being disinserted, but, you know, that's just another Hmm. thing to remember besides the Christmas tree cataract and myotonic dystrophy. If you're going to remember one cause of this kind of Christmas tree appearance, that's definitely myotonic dystrophy, but it's not the only one. You could have someone who does not have myotonic dystrophy have a Christmas or what looks like a Christmas tree cataract. If that's idiopathic, then it's thought to be just due to cholesterol crystals that develop in the cataract and has no other meaning to their systemic health. But there's one last cause besides idiopathic that may be worth investigation. And that, give the listener a little bit of time. And that is is, uh, hypocalcemia. So hypocalcemia can also lead to iridescent uh, cortical opacities. again... In all of these cases, it's almost never visually significant. So you're not doing anything for visual rehabilitation. But my rule is whenever I see shiny stuff in the lens, you know, I first assess, do they have symptoms of myotonic dystrophy? But I also send lab work to see if they are hypocalcemic to see if that's, this is one of their manifestations of it. So I tend to send calcium, phosphorus, and parathyroid hormone labs. And that's it. Those are the drug related and metabolic cataracts that uh, we think and the BCSE thinks that you should know. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at eyes4ears with the number four. We also have our website,
1: www.eyes4ears.com with the number four there also.
0: And if you like to support the podcast and a rating or review on iTunes, or wherever you found our podcast is super helpful. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.